So last year, uh, my daughter and I took a little trip out west. And some of you might know this story. Uh, we tried to hit up a bunch of national parks. And I think it was on day six, approximately day six or seven, uh, my daughter said, hey, Dad, can we do a hiking in slot canyons? And I've never done that before. So I start looking at pricing, and if you go to some of these places, they want like $100 for tours for these canyons per person. And I was like, there's no way I'm paying $200 for us to get toured through a slot canyon and be herded through like cattle. We'll find our own slot canyon. So um, we started looking up slot canyons, and in Escalante National Park, we found a couple slot canyons. And so we stayed the night in a hotel about an hour away, and we uh, drove about 40 minutes. I say it was about an hour away. That's called the, from a bird's view. Because it was an hour of paved road and then 25 miles of gravel to get to the Slot Canyon. And as we drove, um, our service on our cell phones started, like, getting spotty and then disappearing. And after an hour... For this 25-mile drive, we finally pulled up to this canyon. That I say we pulled up to the canyon, we pulled up to the parking lot of the canyon. There was a mile and a quarter hike, a 500-foot descent, a two-mile hike in the canyon, another five high, 500 feet ascent, and then a mile and a quarter back to the truck. So my daughter and I, we get to the, we get our stuff and we both grab our bottles of water and, you know, we have these little Walmart plastic bottles and we had two each and we're thinking, oh yeah, we're all good and we're all prepared. We see the signs right there. We walk right past the signs. Don't even read the signs. Let you know, always read the signs. All right? So we, 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 we don't know anything about this. We just saw it was online. There was a loop. And so we're hiking and hiking and we see these Stack stones called Karens, right? And we're following them. We're like, okay, there's one there. And man, we got to get close to this. We got to be getting close to this canyon. We didn't know about the 500 foot drop. And so we're like, okay, we're hiking, hiking. And we get to this point, and it's not like a straight down drop, but we hike this mile and a quarter. And then all of a sudden, we get to this area where you have to, like, kind of like, like this down the steps to get down 500 feet. And it's gravelly, and it's sandy, and it's rocky, and it's slippery. And we get down there, and we're drinking our water. Because, you know, you got to stay hydrated. And we're like, you know, we both got, by the time we got to the canyon, we both went through about half to three quarters of one of our bottles. And then we got to climb this 10 feet, climb maybe 15 feet, to get into the slot canyon and enjoy this beautiful, beautiful scenery. So gorgeous. We're laughing, we're talking, and we're seeing these Karens stacked every so often, and we're walking, and we're following them. And this is the coolest, I mean, seriously, one of the coolest hikes I've ever done in my life. And then all of a sudden, it comes to this, like, riverbed, like this, this slot canyon almost opens up, and it turns into a riverbed, and we see these Karens of stacked stones about every 150 feet, just far enough apart where you could barely see them, but you could see them. And so we're following them, and we're following them, and all of a sudden, what should have been a total time of three-hour loop total, three and a half hours, according to the 
the page online. <laughs> I went back and read how long was it supposed to take. It was four hours, and our Karens were starting to disappear. And it led us out into this barren desert. And we were walking, and we turned around. And when we turned around to see, okay, we're getting our bearings straight because we don't, we don't see the next Karen anymore. We turned around, and everything just looked like random stones everywhere. So I grabbed my phone thinking, okay, I'm going to get direction. And I grabbed my phone, and I pulled it out. There's no service. And I didn't, like, save the map in my GPS, so I didn't know which way I was facing. I knew nothing. And it started to get hot. And at this point, we finished that one bottle, and we started drinking our second bottle. We, all, we had two bottles each. And it's hot. It's about 100 degrees. And we're in this desert, and we're like, so we sit underneath this tree. Because we're in this desert. We don't know which way to go. Claire's like, yeah, I think we should go this way. I go, no, we're not just randomly going any which direction. We sat underneath a tree, a tree where the animals found shelter. And the reason why I know they would find shelter at night there, because there was animal scat all over underneath it. But we just needed shade from the sun. And so as we're sitting underneath there, we're going, we're like having this moment of panic. And I'm like, Claire, I have no idea where we're going. And we go, well, why don't we just follow our footprints back? Well, we look back. And it looks like there's animal hoofprints everywhere, and our footprints just blend in with all of those. And I look at her, and she looks at me, and at that point, it's, like I said, 100 degrees, we're down a bottle and a half of water each. The water is now getting hot. And I'm like, Claire, we don't know, I don't know how to get home. We need to pray. And so we started praying to the Lord, Lord, guide us, because... We're out here. It's been four hours now. We know we got to hike back up 500 feet and another mile and a quarter, and we're almost out of water, and we're feeling dehydrated, and we're feeling dizzy, and we're feeling faint, and I don't know what we're going to do. And so we prayed, and I, and I said, Lord, guide my feet when I don't even know what I'm doing. And I just, I, I'm like, okay, because we sat there. Like, no one would even know we're out there. My wife doesn't know what we're doing. And so we, I said, honey, I talked to my daughter, Claire, honey, I think I, I think I see a little groove in that footprint. Let's just walk that way. So we started walking back, and as we're walking back, we're, like, getting more and more tired, and my breathing is getting heavier and heavier. And I am a very heavy breather. But when I'm dehydrated and about ready to faint, I breathe like nothing else, like a steam engine, on full throttle, <laughs> you know. And I'm trying to, like, breathe because I feel like I'm losing the air. And I'm like, what went wrong? We follow these Karens, and we're walking back, and I'm breathing, and all of a sudden she starts crying because she's afraid that in that moment I will not make it back. And I'm like, stop, you're crying. You need to keep all the moisture inside your body. And so, we're, and we were literally, every 150 feet or 200 feet, we'd find a little cleft or a little tree that we'd get our heads underneath her just to get enough shade. And all of a sudden, we found our way back to the slot canyon that was actually a slot canyon. And we're stumbling. And we're just like going through it. I'm like, Claire, we just got to keep going. And she's like, Dad, I'm just so tired. 
and we're going through this, and we get to the Slot Canyon, and we're out of water. And we got to climb 500 feet up, and we got to climb another mile and a quarter back to our car. And as we start making this descent, or this ascent up, this, up the side of this hill, we're climbing, and about every five feet, I'm just like, I just, I just can't go anymore. I'm out of breath. I can't go anymore. I'm out of breath. And she's like, she's struggling. And, we're, and we get about 300 feet up, and there's this little tree poking out the side of this little flat part, and we're just sitting underneath this tree trying to get our energy back. And we even talked about staying the night there because we didn't know what we were going to do. And as we were staying there, we were sitting there for like 20 minutes in this one spot. And all of a sudden, we're like, I go, Claire, I just don't think I can go any farther. I think you need to go to the car. Leave me behind. Go get water. There's water in the car. Fill up. Call, when you get there, drive on the road, get an hour onto the road where you get service and call 911. And she's like, Dad, I'm not leaving you. And as we're sitting there, we're like, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, these two hikers all of a sudden appear coming up the side of this hill. And they looked like they hadn't walked five feet. You know those kind of people that you really hate because they're so perfectly fit and so athletic that you're like, I can't stand you. I don't like anything about you, and your smile makes me sick. <laughs> they were walking up. They were drinking. They had their waters, and they suddenly go, hey, are you guys okay? And my daughter's like, no! <laughs> we're not okay. It's been five and a half hours now, and this is supposed to be three and a half hours and we're out of water, and we don't think we can get up the rest of this hill. And they had these bottles that they gave to us. And they said, here, drink. And when they gave us this water, it was the coolest, freshest water I think I've ever had in my life. And I took a couple sips, and I go, oh, thank you so much. Because I didn't want to be like, seal all their water. And they said, no, drink as much as you need. And they gave us the water to drink. And after we got 90% of their water gone, they said, are you guys okay? I started feeling the life coming back into me a little bit. My daughter started feeling better. And I, th and I said, I think we're okay. I lied. I wasn't feeling okay. <laughs> they said, okay. So they started walking. And it was funny to watch them. As they're climbing this hill, they would stop about every 50 feet, stretch, and look back, just to keep an eye on us. And my daughter looks at me, and she goes, Dad, we can't let them leave our sight. We can't. So I'm like, you're right, Claire, we can't. Because we'll just hit that wall again. And so we got up, and we pushed ourselves to finish the rest of this hike and this climb. And we got to the car, and when we got to the car, they came to us with water bottles. And they said, here, we had some nutrients that we poured into these water bottles. I had no idea what they were giving us. I did not care. It was a little pinkish, and I drank it, and it felt wonderful. And so they gave it to us, and they, we drank, and they, le they left. And we got in our car, and Claire and I just broke down sobbing. Because we were on a path that we knew nothing about. We ignored the instructions of the path. 
and we followed what we thought was the right direction. And that almost led us to death. This morning, we're going to be talking about paths. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. As we look at the book of Psalms, I'm going to be starting this little sub-series that when I fill in for Pastor Sid, we're going to be working through different and various psalms. Um, because I love the book of Psalms. The Psalms is what I like to call a rubber-meets-the-road song for every situation. Um, it is really, like, they talk about almost every circumstance through the book of Psalms. There's 150 chapters, and literally they hit so many different topics. It's, it's amazing. And I call it a song for every situation because it is a psalm or a song book. It was written over a thousand-year period by priests and kings and Levites and song directors that worked in the temples. And it was a bunch of different people that wrote and contributed to it. But it took over a thousand years to contribute, uh, to finish. And it was finished about 500 B.C. And it was a song but that they would use in the temple to sing of the praises of God. And Psalm chapter 1 is a beautiful introduction to the book because it is one that says, listen, I'm, I'm setting before you someone who is blessed. And this is their path. This is what they, the blessed ones, this is their path. But then I'm going to set before you the wicked, and this is their path. And so if you are one of the blessed ones, if you are one of mine, don't follow the ones that aren't mine. Don't follow the wrong Karens. Don't follow the wrong path. Pay attention to my instruction. And so let's read Psalm chapter 1 all the way through, and then we're just going to walk through it together slowly. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, and whose life does not wither, whatever they do prospers. But not so for the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous." For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Let's start with a word of prayer. This morning, God, we just come before you, and as we talk through this first psalm, Lord, I pray that right now anything um, that you don't want to stick in the brains here, that they will quickly forget things that are my thoughts that don't reflect you. Let them quickly forget and Lord, I pray that your spirit and your word impresses upon the hearts of people this morning. And that we will take heed from this chapter. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning, as we look at Psalm chapter 1, I want us just to start walking through this slowly 
like a little journey because it actually introduces us to this path and this journey. And it starts with blessed. Blessed is the one who does not walk dot, dot, dot. The idea of being blessed, this literally means, in this context, that word actually means to be happy. Happy is the one. Yes, happy. Now, it's not just the fleeting happiness that comes because we have a momentary sense of joy, but it's one that deep, filled, satisfied joy. Deep, filled, satisfied joy is the one. This is important because this is not just what the world has to offer. You see, the world offers moments of laughter and minor enjoyment. But the world cannot offer deep, heart-filled joy. It can't. And we're going to be talking a little bit about today how it offers things that we just chase more and more and more. And so it starts with, blessed are those. And then the psalmist here starts using a sense of poetry where he uses three same meanings but in different ways. And he said, blessed or happy are those who do not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Let's take a look at blessed are those who do not walk in step with the wicked. The idea of walking in step with the wicked means literally to follow in their path or step in their footprints. It's kind of like if you're hiking with someone and you see a muddy spot and, or, a, or a snow spot and you see the footprint and you step in their footprints. And he's saying, listen, blessed is the one who does not keep in step with the wicked. This warning is not to take direction, guidance, or counsel from the ungodly, those hostile or opposed to God and his word. In other words, do not follow those who are not following God, but rather are living a life opposed to God. Do not take their suggestions. Do not listen to their advice. Do not look to them for counsel. Even if their advice seems sound, their heart is bent away from God. This is very important because, friends, I see a lot of people in the church who love Jesus, but they're looking to other things besides God for counsel and besides those who love Jesus for counsel. You look up your horoscopes for counsel. You go to a palm reader for counsel. You go to that person that doesn't love Jesus for counsel. You look to your best friend. Well, my husband's not very nice to me. What do you think I should do? And she says, leave him. Or he says, leave her. That's not godly counsel. And it says, happy is the one who does not keep in step. Follow the path of the ungodly. Do we listen to podcasts, commercials, YouTube channels, social media, even school counselors? If they are not chasing after the Lord... Why do we look to them for guidance? I mean, be honest with you. So I never asked for permission for this, but one of my children, he's the youngest. Um, this past year, he went to a school counselor, and the school counselor was like, hey, what do you want to do with your life? And they, get the, they take these tests for suggestions. He's just praying about ministry right now. There's zero expectation on your son, zero. Okay, I want to clarify that. He's praying about ministry. And that counselor was like, good, that, you could do that. But you know, here's the thing. When you take those tests, 
You know what's on none of those tests? Pastor. Why? Because that system is not pointing people in a certain direction. I'm not anti-school counselors. School counselors are wonderful. But understand, there's a place when we can't take counsel, full-on counsel, and plan our life and keep in step with those who are not walking in the same direction as God, walking in the same direction as those who are following God. You know, Proverbs 4, 10 through 17 says this. Listen, my son, I instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along the straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to the instruction and do not let go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and go on your way. For they cannot rest until they do evil. And they are robbed of sleep till they make someone stumble. Why do we follow in the way of evil? Why do we chase after those who are not chasing after God? You ever wonder that? Why do we do it? So when my kids were younger, we actually, that verse you see that, do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of violence, of evildoers, or avoid it, do not travel on it, turn away from it, and go on. We actually taught this to our kids from the time they were little. And all three of my kids, you know, I got a 21-year-old, a, 20, a 19-year-old, and a almost 18-year-old. And um, I can right now, like, if I say these words, do not walk, they'll be able to ramble, do not walk in the way of evil, avoid it, do not travel on it, turn away from it, pass on. And then they add, pass on, pass on, pass on, pass on. In fact, it's this right here. When they were three or four years old, we started teaching them this scripture. I want to walk through, we're going to take one minute, and we're going to learn this scripture today. And we're going to learn it with a little swag. Because this is how we taught our kids, because this is how it gets stuck in their heads. Because if you walk away with nothing less but a memorized scripture, you have walked away blessed. So today, listen to the, I'm going to walk through it. And you're going to say it with me, say it with me, all right? But let me go through it first once. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it. Pass on. Pass on. Pass on, pass on, pass on. All right? I know it sounds silly, but it will get stuck in your head. So let's say this together. Ready? Do not walk in the way of evil, avoid it, do not travel on it, turn away from it, pass on, pass on, pass on, pass on, pass on. Now you almost got it, but not quite there. And if you're at home right now and you're watching this YouTube video, I want to encourage you to actually shout it out as well, all right? We're going to do this a couple more times because I want you to walk away with this in your head. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it. Pass on. Pass on. Pass on. Pass on. Pass on. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it. Pass on. Pass on. Pass on. Pass on. Pass on. One more time. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it. Pass on. Pass on. Pass on. Pass on. Pass on. 
This is so important, you guys. Because we need to get in our heads that we don't seek the counsel of the wicked. Don't walk in the way of evil. Why did I want my kids to learn that from the time they were three? Because I recognize there's influence against them throughout all the world, everywhere. And as three and four-year-olds and five-year-olds and six-year-olds, I wanted them to be consciously making choices to not walk in the way of evil, but to seek the Lord. And I'm asking you guys to make conscious choices. Do not walk in step with the wicked. Don't follow their path. But not just that. He says it another way. The second part of verse 1. Or stand in the way that sinners take. The Hebrew word for stand is amad, A-M-A-D. And it literally means to take one stand or remain with. Don't take a stand with those in the same way that sinners take. This is to stand in the way of sinners. It's to position oneself in a way that faces towards and supports those who live a lifestyle contrary to God's standard. That same sins that we see today are the same ones that existed then. And here's the thing. We are called to not stand with the sin. Called to love everybody, but not stand with the sin. Sid's been working through 1 Corinthians, and he read this a couple weeks ago. It says, do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or anyone practicing homosexuality, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. But here's the question. How many of us, or how many people in the world, not only do not condemn these things, but they actually applaud these things? I see it happening in the church all over America. They're applauding the very things that God says, no. Is this our authority, or is it not? Because if it is, we need to follow this, and if it's not, we should throw it away. Not applaud the very things that go against God. Friends, we must come to a place that standing on God and for God's truth is our point. We must come to a place where we don't support wickedness and plant ourselves in alignment with those who are opposed to God. We must come to a place where if God says no, we say no, and if God says yes, we say yes. We must come to a place that we recognize our preferences and our opinions don't matter. Like, I, I would really like the Bible to say this. Who cares? Let me say that one more time. Who cares? Because it doesn't matter what we want it to say. Last time I checked, you were not a very good God who could write the word of God. Last time I checked, you don't sit on the throne and spoke the world into existence. 
And so we need to stand on the word of God and not stand in the way that sinners take. And even our good intentions that are not aligned with God's word are not good. Can I repeat that again with y'all? Even our good intentions that are not aligned with God's word, they're not good. But not only those two things, not only do not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way as sinners take, but then he says, do not sit in the company of mockers. Sitting in the company means to take companionship, to continue to dwell with or reside with or remain or abide. In other words, to stay regularly connected to. Do not constantly fill your heart and your mind and your relationships with someone who is a mocker. And the word mocker, some translations will say scoffer. The word is lutz, which literally means to scorn or make mouths. In other words, not to just live on a lifestyle of disobedience to God, but these people also verbally oppose God and his ways. They will guide you away from God's path and God's plan. When God says this, they will talk you into a different way. They will guide you in a different way. And he's saying, listen, do not make camp with those who are guiding you verbally, not just in path, but with word. Don't guide you. Don't follow the path of those who are speaking against God. Don't follow those people. You will be happier if you do not. So this morning, I want us to read verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. You see, the one who is happy, the one who is blessed, does not do those. But then the psalmist does the, he gives the, the, the counter side, the flip coin side. But they do this. Blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. Delight, that word means to take pleasure, find purpose or longing. Delight in the law of the Lord. Long for it, yearn for it, find purpose and value, find your reason for existence in the law of the Lord. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to delight in so many different things? And oftentimes we delight in the wrong things. We just naturally begin defining purpose and joy in things that quickly become the center of our life. We need to guard where we delight. Because whatever your hearts find pleasure in will be what you chase. And whatever you chase will be what determines your path. And whatever path you take will result in your destination. So guard your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is a wellspring of life. Matthew 6.21 says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I just want you to do an evaluation, a self-evaluation check right now. What are things where you find purpose and value? They might be good things, not bad things. In fact, most of the time, we're not sitting there going, I find purpose in stabbing someone. That, you know, we don't think like that. But we find purpose in good things, but they become the center of our life. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your job where you're trying to get the approval of everybody around you. You're working for that next 
step up. And you sacrifice everything for it. Maybe it's your hobbies. We're like, you just live for those hobbies. I enjoy fishing. We have any other fishermen in here? I enjoy fishing. I really do. I enjoy it quite a bit. Um, I try to get out at least once a week if I can in the summertime, not in the winter because that's for crazy people. But in the summertime, spring and fall, I enjoy that. But I enjoy it. But if I'm not careful, it can become something that I think about all day, every day, throughout the week. And then I'm like, I can't wait for Friday to come because Friday's my day off. And then I get through Friday. And then if I'm not careful, I can go, it's got to start all over again. Anybody feel like that sometimes? Why? Because we are making other things the center of our life. We're delighting in other things. Maybe it's delighting in your family. Now, I hope some of us don't get offended here, but our families should not be the center of our life either. There's only one place, one throne that belongs center of our life, and that is Jesus Christ. And when he is the center, everything else will fill into the right place. But if he's not center, other things fill in, move in, and eventually we'll find ourselves drifting away from the path that God wants us on. When other things become center, we might start spending a little bit less time in the word of God. It might become sporadic or it might just drop off altogether. We might quit serving in our local church. Can I tell you something? If you are a child of Jesus Christ, he has equipped you with a gift to serve the family of Christ. And in some way, you're supposed to serve the body of Christ. And if you're not, it's wrong. You're stealing from the family. We need you. Maybe even, not just not serving, maybe you're becoming sporadic of even being with the family. Maybe you've just drifted a little bit about not coming to the family gatherings like Sunday morning or Wednesday nights. You've just kind of drifted a little bit. Because you focused on other things. I'm not saying you can never miss church, friends. Don't take that away and say, Pastor said, Pastor Nate said, if we miss church, then we're going to hell. No, none of this bases our salvation. None of it. But it does tell me, and it does say here, that we're following other things and making other things a priority. I've seen, honestly, in the last four years, we have more people attending church but more people are coming less frequently. Which means people that were coming three weeks are generally coming two weeks or one week a month. People that were coming once a month are coming every couple months. And those who are coming every couple months are now maybe once a year or not at all. Why, friends? Because our delight has turned to other things. But not just delighting. Let's keep reading here. It delights in the law of the Lord. The law here in this passage specifically is a specific word, Torah, which would have been understood as the first five books of the Bible. 
But it literally means, the literal interpretation is instruction from the Lord. The first five books were the instruction that they had up to many of these other writings. And instructions are important because they're like maps. If I would have read the instructions at the top of that uh, slot canyon, it would have said this. You need two liters of water per person for this hike. We had two 16-ounce bottles of water per person. Not quite, a, not quite two liters between two of us. It would have said, here's these two poles together. The slot canyon gets very narrow. If you can't fit between this, you won't fit between that canyon. I should have read that. Because <laughs> there were times I was like, <laughs> suck it in, Nate, get in there. I should have read that. It would have given direction of the map more. I should have listened to the instructions. And here we understand that those who delight in the Lord will delight in the law of the Lord, the instruction of God. You know, I always struggle taking directions. I really do. But we need to get over ourselves and turn to the word of God as our instruction, as our guide. Because if we don't delight in the instruction of God, we will get lost. We'll quickly compromise. We'll reason away scripture, and we will lose our way. We need God's instruction, my friends. See, God's word, his instruction, it's our safety net and our guide. It is the path of life. God is good, and his instruction is good. And I've had people tell me, well, why, why do you guys have to like, read the Bible so much? Where else are we supposed to find and hear about Jesus Christ and know about God? The world doesn't have anything to offer. It doesn't. I read this Proverbs earlier. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. This is our guide. This is our instruction. If we really believe God is good and then his instruction is good, then why would we not take instruction from a good God? But not only are we to meditate on his law day and night, but it says in verse uh, Continuing that verse, but he meditates on it day and night. The idea of meditating here literally means to speak, study, mutter, or moan. The concept behind that is think of it like this awesomely smart scientist, mad scientist, and he's writing on this whiteboard and he's like muttering words. And he's like, and then. It's the idea of constantly muttered in your mouth, constantly thinking about it. As we talked about last week in Deuteronomy, when when you were doing the dedications, we read this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. In other words, have them on you all the time. Let them be a part of you. 
As children of God, we need to mutter and stutter and work through the words and just like focus on it and like, do not walk in the way of evil, avoid it, do not travel on it, turn away from it, pass on, pass on, pass on, pass on, pass on. We need to have this in our mind and our hearts, have it in front of us. If you're one of those people, take a little three by five card, write a scripture on it, and put it in your next to your odometer in your car and just read it. Have a verse of the week. Have it around your home. Talk about it. When you get up in the morning, talk to your wife or your kids about it. Let them be annoyed with you about it, parents. My kids used to say, Dad, why do you always have to talk about the Bible and bring it back to God? What else is there? Friends, let it always be a part of our hearts and our lives. Because we will be blessed if we do not walk in step with the wicked stand the way the sinners take, sit in the company of mockers, or delight in the law of the Lord. And we will be blessed if we delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on his law day and night. Because the product of that is a person that is like a tree planted by streams of water. It says in verse 3. See, first thing we recognize is he's planted by streams of water. This is, God does his thing. When we delight in his word, when we pursue this, he does a supernatural thing where as we gradually read it and we grow in it, we may not in the moment get anything that very second in that day. Who here has ever read parts of Scripture that you walked away and said, I didn't really get a lot today? Me too. But I can tell you this, as I continue to saturate myself, as I continue to seek the guidance of the law of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord. As I continue to do that, I find myself being rooted and grounded. And I don't necessarily have tons of aha moments, but I have the wisdom of God being poured into my life. So I know how to live, I know how to think, I know how to move. And it's not me, it's him. Because he plants us beside the still waters. He leads us to a place of nourishment that yield its fruit in season. You see, the right path leads to healthy fruit in appointed seasons. The result of being planted by spiritual stream of water is that healthy fruit grows. We see in Galatians where we read about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self, uh, gentleness and self-control. When we're not planted by the roots of the streams of living water by God himself, and we're looking to the world for guidance, fear, depression, anxiety fills us. Now, some of us have natural dispositions to those, okay? Natural dispositions. There could be chemical imbalances. That is all reality there, too. But there's another side that if we're not feeding and nurturing on the water of God himself, those things can get worse. And here we need to live in the understanding that these right here, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, patience, gentleness, self-control, are fruit. In fact, you can almost use them as symptoms of being rooted. We can't fake these, but when we are rooted, these will come in. When we're drinking from the waters and the springs of Christ, they will come in. Several years ago, I preached about 
fake fruit. And I did this fake tree thing, and probably most of you guys don't even remember this, where we duct tape fruit onto people and said, fake fruit doesn't stick. It only comes by abiding in Christ. John 15 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. You see, the fruit of the Spirit is just that. It's a fruit of abiding in him. Because it goes on to say, whose leaves do not wither and whatever they do prospers. You see, if we are planted by and staying connected to the source, we will survive when droughts of life come. And friends, droughts will come. You are either just coming out of a drought, you are in a drought, or not too far down the road, there will be a drought. Because a drought is a difficult season, and we all go through different difficult seasons. Even those who say we've got great lives, there's difficult seasons of financial issues, deaths, struggles, relationship battles, sickness. We're all going through something at some point. And here it says, and the, withers, the leaves will not wither. See, when rooted, we will not only survive, but we will even flourish and grow. It will yield its fruit in the appropriate season. Now the psalmist takes a quick turn. And we're going to wrap it up with these couple verses here. Because he goes, this is the one who is blessed, but now here's the, here's the opposing. But not so for the wicked. You see, the wicked are not going to be nurtured. The wicked are not going to be like streams of living water. The wicked will not have life alive leaves. It says this, that's what the wicked, they're like chaff that the wind blows away. Contrasting this with the righteous whose leaves do not weather, the wicked dry up and blow away in the heat of life. They blow away in the heat of life. When the difficult comes, the world crumbles. Then it says, therefore the wicked will not stand, they will not stand in the judgment. The idea of not standing in judgment is the idea of, it's a courtroom context saying they will have no argument, no defense. They are guilty on all counts. See, the wicked are guilty on all accounts. And there is a judgment day coming where the sin will be judged. It says this in Ecclesiastes, For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or it is evil. But then the psalmist goes on to say it from another way. He says, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Here the idea is that those who identify that our identity is that of a sinner, they will not be able to stand upright before God. They will not be able to hide among the righteous. But they will be separated. It says this in Matthew, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up onto the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad ones away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into a blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, hear this psalmist. He goes, listen, happy and blessed are those who do not take counsel of the ungodly, who do not stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. 
but delight in the law of the Lord and delight in it day and night. They're like a tree planted. But on the flip side, the totally opposite, the wicked, they're like the chaff that's going to get burned up and thrown away. They're like the people that'll be, they can't stand before God. They're going to be judged. And he's like, listen, I'm setting before you two paths. One of the righteous and one of the wicked. Choose wisely. And then he does this, this paragraph, I thought this paragraph or a summary verse that he closes with. The Lord is watching over the way of the wicked, or the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. You see, there is a way that appears right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. Friends, I'm asking you, what's your path? Now, at the core of this chapter, Psalms is actually not about salvation. At the core of this chapter, it's actually talking about your instruction. What instruction are you following? Guard it closely. Because we got to be careful. You might be thinking, well, I just need to get my act together and start acting like the righteous. Because if I act like the righteous, then I'll be righteous. But the answer is no. It doesn't work like that. You don't act righteous to be righteous. You see, it is Jesus, not our works. It was what moves us from wickedness to righteousness. We see this in Ephesians 2. Many of us might even know this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and that it is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You see, we don't start acting good to be good. We actually look to the one who is good and he gives us his righteousness. And the one who is good and right is Jesus Christ. We look to him that his payment on the cross, dying for our sins, is a full payment to make us right. And when we trust in him alone and that full payment, he does what I like to call the great exchange. And that is, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's Galatians 5.21. You see, we don't become righteous by doing good. We become righteous by putting full dependence, 100% dependence upon Jesus Christ and say, you are God, you are creator, you died for my sins, and I need your payment for my sins. I trust you. When we trust him, he makes us righteous. Is that it? That's it. Simple. So you might be going, well, Pastor Nate, then why do we read Psalm chapter 1? What's, what's about the whole two-path thing? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, we be very clear. How a believer lives does not determine if he or she receives or keeps God's saving grace. That is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, period. But how we mentally and emotionally experience God's grace on this side of heaven is very much influenced by the path we take and the company we keep on life's journey. Do we get that? How we mentally and emotionally experience God's grace here does depend on if we're following him. Too many believers 
are not experiencing the victorious Christian life, joy, and peace of God because they are people clothed in God's righteous, righteousness, but they're chasing the world. Why should God bless the path of his children if they're going the wrong way? And this morning, I want us to just, as we start this psalm sub-series, let us remember a simple phrase. God's way is the best way. God's way is the best way. And let us look to him and his word for our guidance. I close with this. A word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Let's look to him for our guidance. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, we thank you for grace that saw us where we are at and loved us enough to come to this earth and make a payment for our sin. Make the only payment possible to pay for the fullness of our sin. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Lord, let us not just trust in you for the forgiveness of our sins that gives eternal life, but Lord, let us also trust you in the journey. Let us look to your word and let it guide us and let us not look to what the world has to say to those who are not following you, what they have to say. But let us look to your word. Let it be a light to our feet and a guide to our path. And let us be a people that stand on the word. For we will be people that are planted, rooted, and nurtured by the streams of living water. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.